Welcome to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. Over the last, I think, decade or so, the conversation around mental health really changed like dramatically. I saw a little bit of that transformation, but I imagine you saw more of a contrasting difference since you're a little bit older than me. <laughs> I don't wanna... <laughs> I'm a lot bit older than you. So do you remember how, like, I remember a little bit like how mental health was discussed when I was young. Like, do you remember how it was discussed when you were young? Yeah, we didn't really talk a ton about it. I think we've talked about this a little bit previously. That a little bit, yeah. There was still a ton of stigma. There's obviously still stigma now, but in the 80s and 90s, there was definitely still stigma and trying to understand causes and the sort of embarrassment of what it meant to have somebody with a mental health issue. Certainly nobody talked about suicide or anything like that associated with it. So yeah, no, not a ton. So it's definitely improved, although we still have a ways to go. Yeah. And I remember similar things where the whole attitude was sort of like, just get over it. You know, that like I sort of attitude about mental illness. Oh, yeah. It was a, like a personal failing or a weakness if you had an issue. Yeah. And I think the conversation around this has been historically challenging for many reasons, because a part of it is that unlike a broken leg, it's not like immediately obvious that there is an issue. And secondly, like people, like you said, people often attribute someone's behavior as like a reflection of them and their character rather than stuff outside of their control or them being experiencing an illness that's like an actual illness and for the majority of history our approach to mental health is like victim blaming and also you know things like just go jogging or obviously she's crazy and she's a witch and we need like burn her at the stakes (laughs) which is totally a thing (laughs) that was intense swing from just go jogging to burn her at the stake okay yeah yeah but it's true like i mean we have had a range of of responses. You're totally right. But I I think you're right in that we, as we've talked about previously, ascribe moral failings or shortcomings or weaknesses or willpower issues to people for things that are often outside of their control, either because they live in social contexts that limit their capacity or they have mental health issues or other substance use kinds of issues where you know they may have a disease that is keeping them from being able to do the thing. Yeah. And I'm glad our conversation around mental health is changing. I think people are starting to recognize that mental illness is an illness rather than a character defect. And, you know, one of my favorite analogy is the the asthma comparison, like swap out mental health with asthma and inhalers and, and see what happens. Where it's like, you know, when I get depressed, I just go outside. It's like, when I get an asthma attack, I just breathe harder. <laughs> like That's sort of, I love that analogy because it really puts into perspective like how mental illness is an actual illness rather than just like a person's behavior. Well, right. And as someone with asthma, I can tell you <laughs> if I was in the midst of an asthma attack and somebody was like I just breathe. oh just go for a jog i'm like do you do you want me to die yeah. like i'll literally fall over and die if i tried to run while having a an asthma attack um so I, I appreciate you making that comparison it really does make that very clear yeah and obviously we in public health know uh, we have a whole is a department or section of our school department we have a whole department of on uh, department of mental health we're one of the only i think actually we might be the only School of Public Health in the U.S. that has a Department of Mental Health. Okay, I'm going to fact check that. Department of Mental Health, our department, (laughs) the only department dedicated to mental health in a school of public health. Boom. Boom. Fact checked. Anyway, continue. I knew it was going to be super easy to find because they have it on the school, on like the department webpage. Anyway, sorry. Continue. So I think for people in public health, it's not that hard to make the connection for why mental health is a huge public health concern, but I think it's still a good exercise 
to walk through this, right? To walk through this uh, thought experiment, if you will. If I were to ask you, what makes something a public health concern? Well, it's something that impacts a broad group of individuals. It's related to any of the social determinants of health or the sort of socio-ecological model, you know, thinking about self all the way up to the systems that we're in. But it's, you know, not an N of one kind of issue. It affects a larger portion of the population. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up because one of the things that makes public health issue a public health issue is prevalence, right? How many people does this affect? And guess what? In America, or just in the world in general, but we have more statistics about America, this is something that affects a lot of people. If you were to guess, how many people experience mental illness in America? One in four. A one in five. So you're very close, but it's a huge chunk of people. And the most common ones being, so I thought it was uh, major depressive, but actually the most common mental illness is anxiety-based. Yep. Some sort of anxiety and paranoia-based disorders, which is estimated to affect around 48 million people. So about 20% have some sort of anxiety disorder. And yeah, so this is not like a, a niche issue. This is an issue that affects affects a lot of people in this country. Yeah, it's really important to keep in mind because often some folks might exhibit very clear signs, symptoms, behaviors of having a mental health disorder. And those folks we would generally think about as having a severe mental illness, SMI, Mm -hmm. but not everyone who has a mental health issue or even a mental illness has that kind of severe symptoms. It, it can be something that somebody's able to cope with either through medication or therapy, et cetera. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they don't have a problem, right? Like I have asthma that is well controlled, right? With my medications. That doesn't mean I don't, don't have, asthma, have asthma, right? You still have asthma. Right. It's just I'm able to cope with asthma and, and maybe I make some behavioral modifications as well. But it's important to think about, you know, the difference between people who have any mental illness, AMI, and severe mental illness, um, and not to minimize any of these mental illnesses as being, oh, it's like not severe, right. so it's not a big deal, because living with any kind of mental illness can certainly impact people in that burden, like what kind of burden does that put on individuals or the society as a whole is also an important consideration when we're thinking about whether something's a public health concern. Yes. A great segue to the next realm of how we determine a public health concern is burden. But before I say that, uh, you made a distinction of mental illness and uh, severe or serious mental illness. So one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness, about one in 20, which still a lot of people experience serious mental illness. And you also brought this up, like terminology is very important. And I think it's something that we need to clarify just because when it comes to discussions about mental health, I think what terms we use is important. And saying that you're depressed is not the same as saying that you have major depressive disorder. They have very rigorous clinical criteria that you need to hit for you to be diagnosed as having a certain mental illness. So, you know, don't throw those terms around because when you do, you're really like minimizing other people's experience. Absolutely. But I think it comes back to our vocabulary. Yeah. So Brene Brown, who love Brene, uh, has a a book that I'm currently reading, which is, this is not the book club, but you know, I like to throw books out there, but her whole thing is for the most part, people categorize themselves into one of three emotions, sad, mad, or glad. That's pretty accurate. (laughs) Right. And if, if those are really the only words you have to describe how you're feeling, you might say, I'm depressed or I'm sad, but it might be that you are experiencing grief, which is actually different, or maybe you're experiencing sorrow or something else. And so it's super important to 
expand the words that we have. We have lots of words to describe Tons of words. a bunch of different things, but when it comes to how we feel, we tend to restrict ourselves. And that can also lead to some stigma around mental health and mental illness, because if we're expected to sort of confine how we talk about our feelings and our mental health to this small range of emotions, when people start to use other words to describe how they're feeling, um, then people might be like, "Mm, what's, what's that all about? Yeah. So terminologies are important. The words that we use are important, especially with issues like mental health. All right. Now to segue to the point that you just brought up, the second metric is burden. How much impact does mental illness have on individuals and the society? So if you are a person suffering from mental illness, it's highly correlated with other serious issues like substance use, homelessness, uh, high school dropout rates, and just a whole host of other things. And just a little quick aside, substance use is a very big component of mental health discussion, uh, too big for us to discuss here. So we will probably dedicate. Yeah, we'll talk about that in another episode. But yeah, so there are individual burdens of having mental illness illness that really affects other aspects of your life. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle, like your environment can affect your mental health and your mental health can affect your behavior, which then affects your environment, which I think is why conversations around mental health is also difficult because you can't really pinpoint the start, you know, because it's just like a circle of like environment affects you, you infect the environment. But yeah, like there's definitely like individual burdens when it comes to mental illness. Yeah, and we have talked previously about how things might be distributed differently across populations. And so much like other topics we've talked about, there are disparities in which kinds of groups are more likely to experience burdens related to mental health, right? So thinking about folks who identify as LGBTQ+, you know, anyone who might be non-binary or transgender, thinking about individuals who may be of um, mixed racial or ethnic heritage, folks who may be coming from multiple backgrounds. Um, And then another group that a lot of folks might be surprised to hear about is we actually have higher levels of mental health and mental illness issues among individuals who are non-Hispanic white. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't want, this might sound weird, but, you know, typically when we discuss disparities on this show or just in public health in general, there are a few vulnerable groups that pops up. And then uh, I was really surprised by this, like non-Hispanic white being third place when it comes to mental health prevalence and prevalence, yeah, prevalence uh, before other minority groups like, you know, black or African-Americans, American Indians. I mean, they're still high. It's still a concern. But yeah, I was really surprised by this. And I'm wondering... I'm wondering why. I'm, I, I don't know. Well, we need someone far smarter than oh, yeah. we are to talk with us about <laughs> the probably, why at probably some point. Shouldn't, probably shouldn't conjecture, yeah. how this touches upon my area of work, which is gun-related injury and death, is we see the highest rates of firearm suicide among non-Hispanic white males in particular, especially among those who are older. And so certainly a consideration when we're thinking about access to lethal means when individuals are experiencing issues of mental illness or mental health concerns. And so thinking about who most commonly owns firearms and then also who has higher rates of mental health issues, um, that's that's something we need to keep in mind. The other thing I will say, again, not an expert in this, so this is a hypothesis based on some other data we have around access to resources, who has Mm -hmm. health insurance that might be able to get this kind of diagnosis, right? Right. There may be differences in 
who is covered, like if their health insurance has mental health parity coverage or any of those kinds of things. So it could be, I don't know, hypothesis. It could be that individuals who are non-Hispanic white may have better access to care and services to be able to get the diagnosis in the first place. Yeah. A lot of times in public health, we think about where is this data coming from? And it could be if these are from hospitals, then maybe there's a, a discrepancy between or a disparity between who gets to go to the hospital, who gets to have access to that resources and therefore be included in the data. We know for sure that there are disparities in who accesses care, whether it's medication oh, yeah, <laughs> or anything like that. So it's not just thinking about diagnosis. It's also about disparities in who then can be treated once they're diagnosed. Yeah. So individual burden of mental illness. I think that's not super hard to imagine. Um, But also societal burden of mental illness. Because it's such a prevalent problem, it really is worth the investment for us as a society and a country to like, you mentioned this uh, earlier, like mental health care parity, which do you want to explain that? I don't think I can explain it fully. Right. So parity as in being equal, not parity as in like making fun of just to (laughs) clarify for the listeners. So parity means that if an insurer covers mental health services, they have to be covered at the same level as other health services, like physical health services. Wait, do you mean that they are currently not covered at the same level? So previously, there had been issues where states could have their own parity laws. Mm -hmm. Again, this is not my area of expertise, and so I might be talking out of school, but I think the ACA addressed some of the parity issues. A little bit, Again, if you offer mental health services, they have to be covered at the same level, but some insurers might opt to not offer mental health services so that they don't have to right, exactly. follow the parity law. And then I think we've talked separately about self-insured companies and how they're exempt from all of these rules anyway. From a societal standpoint, like it's worth the investment. This is for the econ bros out there. Ha ha ha. season one. Yeah. <laughs> mental health is one of the leading cause of lost productivity, which makes sense, right? If you're struggling with mental health, obviously you're not going to be as productive. And again, I mentioned this before, I'm not super comfortable with the term like last productivity because that assumes that a human's purpose is to produce and is to work, which... Oh yeah, totally a characteristic of white supremacist culture, for sure. Like a human's worth is to produce. And if you can't produce, then you don't have value. Yeah. Um, mental health is a huge cause for a reduced labor force or in lost productivity. And also, this is something that I didn't think about until I researched for this episode, which is unpaid care given by family caregivers. Like you having to maybe not attend to your job or not be able to do your job, but you have to maybe like quit your job in order to take care of another family member, that is a huge unpaid care labor. Yeah. Or even if you don't have to quit your job, right? Let's say you work a full-time job and then you are the primary caregiver for someone. It could be with someone who has a mental illness or any other kind of illness that requires care. Caregiver burnout is a huge issue. I think I've mentioned previously that I used to work in the nursing home. And we would often have patients who would come in for respite days where the caregiver, their spouse, their parent, or not their parent, their child. Could be their parents. Who knows? Yeah. Most of our patients were older adults, so we didn't have um, a lot of parents dropping off kids. But a spouse or a child might drop their the person that they take care of off for 
two to three days so that they could get a break. Either they needed to travel or they just were burnt out and needed a break. And so that was something we would see people come in occasionally for. But burnout is a huge issue. And that is sort of it's an uncompensated piece of the pie that you're talking about. Yeah. And also because it's family members, that makes that conversation even harder uh, to have. Like you are not able to detach, like, for example, a healthcare professional might be able to detach from a situation because you're they're, you're literally family. And that's why I think that conversation often is a lot harder to have. And then, you know, high cost of late stage medical care instead of prevention. This is a theme that commonly recurs on in, on, in the show. Uh, same thing with mental health. Like if we don't do a good prevention of mental health, we're just paying for it on the back end, oftentimes more than what we could have paid for. I don't remember if I mentioned this. It may have come up when we were on a break, but so my family still lives in Washington state and my sister works still. They passed a law saying that people had to buy long-term care insurance because of all of the costs associated with um, nursing homes and long-term right. care yeah. and individuals who were in nursing homes would spend down into poverty, meaning they were having to spend all of their life savings on their care until they got to the point where they were poor enough that they could qualify for Medicare and Medicaid, and then the state would take on the costs. And so the state, Washington state said, hey, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> try to address this on the front end and get people to buy in to long-term care insurance. And if they didn't want to opt into a particular plan, the state would just pull money out as part of taxes to give them the service with the hope that there would be more resources available to provide this long-term care for folks. Granted, not everybody will need it, but it's there, um, which I thought was interesting. Washington State's an interesting state. They don't do income tax, so they have to figure out other ways to pay their bills. You know what? West Coast, best coast is what I say. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I hear you on that. That's my hometown. You unfortunately have bought property here, so you you have to stay here for a while. I am free to go back to the best coast, west coast, and I will uh, sometime in the future. So, um, <laughs> I find it hilarious that you think me owning a home is the thing that's going to keep me here. Owning a home is not the thing that will keep me in Maryland. It's, you know, children in high school and a husband who owns a small business and a really important job <laughs> that are going to keep me okay. here. That's that's funny. <laughs> Either way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Even after all that, maybe someone out there is still not convinced that mental health is a public health issue. So I think the best way then is to talk about how mental health can directly impact someone's physical health. In many ways, we can start at the individual level first. So individuals with depression have higher risk of cardiovascular and metabolic disease. In fact, depression is the leading or one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. Yeah, and that's uh, depending on how you define you know, disability and how you how you do the numbers, but it's one of the biggest causes of disabilities worldwide. Uh, if you have a mental illness, you have a higher rate of substance use. Uh, and again, just to be clear, not a causation, more of a correlation. Right, because individuals who are experiencing a mental health issue might use substances to help cope with or control symptoms. Um, and so certainly there could be a correlation. And I also want to make it very clear, not everyone who has a mental illness uses substances, but that can be a way, particularly for individuals who can't otherwise access care to try to help manage their symptoms. Yeah. 
which is why parity is so important because you want to give them the resources to like adequately manage something. Same thing with asthma. Just think go to an asthma example. It's like, hey, you have asthma, but like we're going to make getting an, an inhaler like really hard for you. That doesn't make sense, right? So same thing with mental illness. You have to give them the resources to help manage these things. People with mood disorders often have higher rates of hospitalization. And then obviously the elephant in the room suicide. We will cover this more in depth in a future episode because suicide is just like substance use, such a big topic, but suicide is a huge thing. It's a huge issue. Yeah. People don't talk about it. So a lot of folks don't understand how large of a burden is. I think in 2020, which is the last year that we have complete data, we had over 45,000 suicide deaths and half of those are with a firearm because they are exceptionally lethal. But it's definitely something that has a ton of stigma related to it. It's not covered in the media, partly on one side because concerns around copycats. But on the other side, a lot of folks don't want people to know that there was a suicide in their family. And so there's a lot of shame around what could I have done to prevent this, not wanting people to know that this happened. But uh, yeah, this is a huge issue. We should definitely have uh, a separate episode for this. Yeah. A second leading cause of death among people 10 to 14, which is really sad. Third leading cause of deaths of those between 15 and 24, also very sad. A 12th leading cause of death overall. We've been seeing increases among youth and teens, as you were just saying. Um, But again, this also isn't experienced equally across populations, particularly among minority youth, we are seeing increases in rates of suicide death. Yeah. 46% of people who die by suicide had a diagnosed mental health condition. Again, not causation per se, but definitely highly correlated. Well, we've talked previously about how individuals with mental illness, because of the desire to link mass shootings with mental illness, Mm -hmm. we've talked previously about how, in fact, people who have a mental health issue or a mental illness are far more likely to be the victim of violence or to have a self-harm attempt that might result in a suicide. Yeah. Mental health is a public health concern. This is one of the reasons why. And uh, I think this may be a record for how long it took me to get to the subject of the title of this episode. (laughs) But uh, what do you think is the deadliest mental illness as in the mortality rate is the highest? And I'll give you a hint. Second place is not even close. You're not talking about mechanism, right? You're talking about the mental illness that's associated with mortality. Not like you're not talking about suicides specifically. You're talking about mental health mortality overall or mental yeah. illness related mortality overall. Okay. Okay. What mental illness has the highest mortality rate? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, it's a tough one. I did not expect this. I'm going to take like a total wild guess. I have not looked ahead. I have no clue. I don't even know if there's anything written down below. There isn't. I kept it that way. <laughs> we have the only reason this is coming into my mind is because we had a graduate of our PhD program do this topic oh. as her dissertation research. And like I had would never have even thought about oh. it otherwise, but she sort of changed my thinking about this. Okay. Is it oh, I'm gonna feel super dumb if I'm not even close. I think you got something it. related to anorexia and bulimia. It is anorexia. Congratulations. Oh, okay. Anorexia is by far the deadliest mental illness. It is twice as high as second place, which actually I don't know what second place is, but it's anorexia nervosa is exceptionally lethal as a mental illness. And we will do a whole eating disorder episode because we have to now that we mentioned it. But I don't think people know this. Again, the only reason I know about this, Dr. Rachel Preschkreischer was studying this topic 
And she really changed the way I think about, I knew that anorexia was a mental health issue. This was like the only mental illness that we talked about in high school. Mm. We watched these movies, these like, you know, made for teen movies. Not that good. It had Callista Flockhart in it. And she had anorexia and bulimia. Allie McBeal, the show, uh, she's married to Harrison Ford now. Oh, okay. Um, But as like a wee lass, she was in this movie. (laughs) Um, That at the time, the, you know, the movie tried to frame it as a mental health issue, but literally everybody was like, just like you need better willpower, like stop seeing yourself in this weird way. Like that was the way that we all sort of. What a nice way to tie back to the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Thank you. I thought so as well. (laughs) Yeah. So all of those threads came together because it is anorexia nervosa is when you think about the harmful behaviors that might be associated with a mental illness, not eating like yeah. <laughs> does so many other negative effects on the body. So anyway, I was just trying to explain how I came to that. It's uh yeah, a lot of people would guess depression or whatever. Anorexia is four times more lethal than depression, a major depressive disorder. And it is without it versus someone with it, the risk of death is sixfold increase. Wow. The age which you get it matters. If you got diagnosed with anorexia in your 20s, your risk of death is 18 folds. It is an exceptionally lethal mental illness. And I think even today, people don't take it seriously. Even today, people are sort of like, just eat or, you know, like, I don't know, stop dieting. I don't know. But and there's we could talk all day about what sort of media forces pushes, especially young girls to what's the right word? Strive for an ideal body image. Yeah. Or to just lean closer to an eating disorder. And it's something that, you know, impacts a lot of people. Flirt with it. Flirt with it, I guess. Yeah, and this is like a prelude to a future episode that we'll do on eating disorder, but I sort of wanted to do this whole episode, one, to sort of highlight how important mental illness is in terms of public health, but also the deadliest mental illness is not what you think it is. Um, And that's the outro. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. Mental health is a great public health concern. And frankly, we have lost too many people to mental health problems for us not to take this seriously. We need to encourage people to seek help, reach out, check in on people. Even those who don't have a mental health issue or a mental illness might be struggling because of issues related to COVID or other family stress. You know, we don't know what is going on in other people's lives unless we pause and take the time to reach out and maybe even connect them to resources if they might need them. Therapy is great. Uh, Let's destigmatize going to therapy. I think therapy should be... Oh man, I went to therapy for a while after my brother died several years ago and it was it was like the best experience of my life I just i went once a week for a year and yeah i would thinking about maybe i should go back just to like yeah. kick the tires get a refresh <laughs> change yeah. the oil etc because it is it's amazing to have someone who is a professional can be objective and help you think through like okay what are things that i'm doing like what are some choices that i'm making versus what are some things that are maybe outside of my control that i need to accept or right. move away from if i can't accept or change them the recently the 988 number just three digits a suicide and crisis lifeline opened up it does have its challenges mainly funding and not enough people answering the phone to meet the demands but it is a good first step 
for us as a society to have like a quick and easy number that you can dial in case you need something. It's so telling though that it took us this long to launch oh, yeah, a three-digit number instead <laughs> yeah. of you know a, a super long one eight hundred number. I'll also say the crisis text line is an amazing resource for people if you don't feel comfortable calling and speaking on the phone. Yeah, you can speak to a crisis counselor over text. There's more and more telehealth resources for mental health, whether it's or any of those kinds of things. Not sponsored. Not sponsored. We all, are not taking way. money from. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but just saying like there are lots of different ways now that we can access. So please check those out. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Please give us a rating and a review. It does help the show immensely. Send us questions or comments to everything is public health at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. Follow us on Twitter at everything is ph or Instagram at everything is public health. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Krafasi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below. Listeners, we have a Patreon page that going forward will act as our website, visit the site for all major updates and bonus material. If you want to support the podcast directly, you can support us on our Patreon page as well. You can find the link for that in the description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health. <laughs>